Here we go. Um, we've been in this series on uh, uh, called "It's All About Jesus," bringing attention to the ways um, and the like, bringing attention to the things that are all about Jesus. It's an interesting, uh, maybe kind of an interesting like um, subject because uh, not really actually and physically and spiritually and eternally, everything is about Jesus. All things are about Jesus. All things point to Jesus. All things exist to bring glory to Jesus. All things exist to magnify the name of Jesus. And so when you, when you go about um, planning a sermon series that's all about Jesus, it's both really easy, right? Because everything is about him. And it's also like, okay, well, what are we going to talk about this week? Right, um, and so uh, this week I want to talk about um, I want to talk about something that was kind of reflected in the songs that we sang early this morning. I so appreciate Alan and her team for picking songs that are maybe specific to the themes that we're um, working through each day or each week. Um, all of creation, all of creation, is about Jesus. All of it. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to, his run, to run His course. It rises at one end of the heavens and, make its, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Listen, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. When you look at the world around you, when you look at all of creation, when you're blessed to witness the glory and the beauty of the world around us, it all screams one message. Glory to the One that has created. Glory to God Above. Now, this this idea, all right, um, this idea can sometimes be be overrun in the extreme of every direction. Okay, and this is a this is a thing that that the world does great. It lives on the extremes, right? In in every situation, right? We we love to live on the extremes. We either, we either really love something or we absolutely hate it. Okay? There, doesn't, there doesn't tend to be any middle ground. Or the middle ground is often very difficult to find. Right? Um, and the same is true when, when we begin to talk about the, the glory of God in the creation as a whole. Right? You can go to the extreme of saying, um, of, of worshiping the creation. 
right? We, you, you, actually, you actually possess a, a spirit of worship of the beauty at create, of creation, right? You orient your life or your passions or your purpose around like the created world, right? How, how beautiful it is, how treasured it is, how gorgeous it is, how we should protect it at all costs, how X, Y, and Z. There's, there's kind of that extreme over here, right? And then there's the other extreme over here that says that, hey, look, we, we don't have to care about it at all. We don't have to have a high view of creation at all. It's ours. We can do what we want with it. We have no responsibility for it. Its only purpose is to satisfy every need, want, and desire that we have. So that there's a completely like, there's a completely hands-off approach to understanding how creation gives glory to God and Jesus. Where there's an approach where we forget that God created it and that we worship the creator, not the created thing, and instead we worship the creation itself. Both are equally wrong. Both are equally misguided. Right? Because what, what the Scripture declares, right, is that, is that there is, we should be asking ourselves, right, this question, what is the purpose of the world or the creation around us. And I don't mean that in some kind of like, some kind of like, um, like the super spiritual creation, the super spiritual, I'm meaning like the trees and the mountains and the rivers and the seas and the beauty of the animals and the complexity of our ecosystem and, and all, that, all that is that we see when we look at the world and we look at creation, what is the purpose of it? It must be, right? When we look at, when we look at scriptures to say, like, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. It leads us in a direction, at least to begin with, to believe that it, this must be more than just a place for us to live, right? What we see around, like, this isn't just like a dorm room that we're occupying for a short period of time until we go on to the more important place, to the most important place. Scripture seems to have a much higher view of creation than that. There's a second question that I think that we we must wrestle with. We must ask ourselves. We must ask each other when it comes to creation in the world around us. Is Okay, what is the purpose first? But now, then, what is the plan for the world around us? What is the plan for it? Like, like we believe that God has a plan for us, right? We quote, maybe incorrectly, contextually, a lot of times, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? We, we believe that God has a plan for our lives. We believe that God has a plan for our family. We want to believe that God has a plan for all things, like that God has a plan, right? 
So, so if God has a plan for you, and God has a plan for me, and God has created you, and God has created me, right? And we, and we see in Scripture that God has created the creation. He has created the universe. He has created the world. Then does God have a plan for it? Or is it just kind of a throwaway? It'll be used for a time period, but then once he's done, it'll be gone. Because the Bible has something to say about that, too. That God actually does have a plan for that, the world. That God does have a plan for creation. And then it's tied together for God's plan for us as well. Now, of course, we see um, probably the, the Scriptures that you're all thinking about, right? Right from the, right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then the writer of Genesis there in the beginning of, um, beginning of the Old Testament goes through the rest of creation. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And he said, let there be light. And there was light and it was good, right? Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made it all and he called it sky. And it was good. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. Let dry ground appear. And so God called the dry ground land and it was, God saw that it was good. Again, we have all these, and it goes on and on and on. And we've, we've kind of somewhat memorized that narrative or it's been written on the hearts of like all of creation that oh God, God created it all and it was good. That God had created and recognized before, before all things that the, that the world in which he was creating, the universe in which he was, which is, which he was creating, was, was identified and defined as good, right? i got to believe like, that anything that God says is good and feels is good, right? It's actually pretty good. Something that we should recognize as well, the goodness of what he has created. Now these kind of themes of God creating, right? And about that creation being good is carried not just in the Old Testament, but, but it's carried far into the New Testament as well. Uh, even the Gospel writers, the Gospel of John, right, starts out with kind of almost mirroring the Genesis account. Where in the Old Testament we get the sense of God creating and it was good. And then we come into the New Testament, right, the time of Jesus. And John, the writer of John's Gospel, sets out to kind of like be like recount the Genesis account when he says this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, familiar words, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now John, of course, here is um, alluding to um, the incarnate Son Jesus, or the pre-incarnate Son of Jesus, right? The Messiah, the Savior, that, 
That, that Jesus, the, the mystery, right? The mystery of our triune God, right? That, that even, in the be, even in the beginning, before anything was created, right? That Jesus, the Word, was there with God. He was with God in the beginning. In verse 3, through Him, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. That, 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 the, writer, that the writer John, um, he, he communicates, right, that, that Jesus from the very beginning was the agent of creation. That all things that were created were created through Him. That there is nothing in all of the universe that has been made that has been made outside of the direct influence of Jesus Himself. Intimately, fully, fingers in every recipe of creation, Jesus is a part of it. Everything that has been made has been made through the will of Jesus Christ Himself. Now, not to bag on John here writing his gospel, but the Apostle Paul does a much better job of like driving home the point that Jesus is at the center of all the created world. In his letter to the church in uh, Colossae, a city where Paul had been planting some churches, he wrote this to them, Colossians Chapter 1. And this is like, this is probably one of the most epic sections of like Jesus' description, like deep theology about who Jesus is, his glory, his eternality, his power, his authority, his compassion, his kindness, in, and his love in all of Scripture. Like, this is one of those things if you're like, man, I really, I really should memorize a scripture verse. Don't hesitate to memorize this one. Okay? Where Paul, where Paul just like rips on, not rips in a negative way, <laughs> proclaims the supremacy of Christ. How about that? Starts in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, or verse 15, I'm sorry. And going verse through verse 23, we're going to read this whole thing and then we're going to come back to the pertinent section, all right? Listen. Do you want to know who Jesus is? Do you want to know who Jesus really is? Yeah, right? Not like, not like cultural Jesus, right? Not like, not like story, storybook Jesus. Not like, not like Jesus of that we don't know, but Jesus that comes near. Not, not the real Jesus. Do you want to know the real Jesus? Paul tells us who the real Jesus is. He says, He, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by Him and through Him, for by Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, were created by Him and were created for Him. He is before all things. And in Him, all things are held together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood, which has been shed on the cross. Once, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the Gospel. This is the Gospel that you have heard and that I have been proclaiming to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the real Jesus. This is the Jesus that the Gospel proclaims. This is the Jesus that the Apostle Paul proclaims. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And verse 16 is where we're going to park ourselves. For by Him all things were created. All things were created. This is one of those funny times where you really need a pastor to explain what the Greek uh, actual translation uh, means when it says, all things were created by Him. You know what the Greek word for all means? It means all, right? Yeah, it means all. we got some Greek scholars in the room. There's no, there's no translation needed here, right? When, when the word says that, that by Him all things were made, it means all things. That there is nothing in all of existence. No power, no authority, no rule, no dominion, no heavenly being, no earthly being, no tree, no mountain, no sea, no animal, nothing in all of creation ever has existed outside of the personal influence of Jesus Christ. He is the agent of creation. By Him all things were created. Heaven and earth, the things that you can see and not see, the thrones, the powers, the authorities, the rulers, they were created by Him. And listen, equally as important here, Paul says they were created what? For Him. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, of course, I would, it, it would make sense that all of this world exists and I see the magnitude and the complexity and the beauty of it and I can't create that. So it must have come from some godly figure. Okay, I can get behind the idea that God in heaven, maybe call him Jesus Christ even, created all things because I certainly couldn't do it and I don't know anyone else that could. It's a completely different thing or it takes us into a different realm altogether to say that, listen, God didn't just create all things. It wasn't just by Him. All things actually exist for Him. 
They are His. That every, that every purpose that they express is pointed towards Him. That every plan that they would have is pointed towards Him. Listen, nothing in all of creation, including you and including me and including the birds in the air or the fish in the sea or the magnitude of the oceans or the magnitude of the mountains or anything else in all of creation exists for itself. All things, all things exist to point to, to magnify, and to exalt Jesus Christ. Nothing exists for itself. All things exist to point back to Jesus. All of creation is, a, is the big end of the funnel that leads to the small end to get us back to the magnification and the glorification of the one through whom all things were created. All things were designed and exist to point back to the glory of the Creator. That means you exist to point back to the glory of Jesus Christ. The heavens exist to point back to the glory of Jesus Christ. The very rocks in the parking lot exist to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Well, that's ridiculous, Pastor. A rock? Yes. All. All things exist. In fact, Jesus in the Gospel had a conversation about the rocks. Right? In Luke chapter 19. Right? Luke chapter 19, what happened? Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem. Right? Luke chapter 19, verse 38. Uh, I guess you could start at verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What were they doing? They were showing, right? They were, show they were, they were putting the glory where it belonged. They were magnifying and exalting the right thing. They were seeing Jesus for who he actually was. The agent of all creation. The miracle worker from heaven. The king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, they were saying. And, all, and, and, and some of them around the crowd was like, Jesus, come on, man. Tell your disciples... Tell your disciples to be quiet. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Meaning like what? Like this is not appropriate and probably not true and we don't want, you, we don't want, them, um, we don't want them worshiping and glorifying and magnifying your name and your power and your place and, and who you are. Jesus, this is inappropriate. And what does Jesus say in response to to them. He says, I tell you this, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones 
will cry out. <laughs> now, he doesn't say, he doesn't go any further than that. But what is the implication here? He's like, hey, look. Look. All of creation, these people, you, all of it, was meant and created to bring glory back to me. So if you're going to silence the mouths of those who have the ability to speak in worship of who I am, then the rocks themselves will cry out in glorification and magnification and worship of the one who created them. You cannot stop the reality that all of creation exists to bring glory to him. You try to stop it, even the rocks themselves are going to cry out in worship. Because all means what? It means all. This is an important point, right? Um, because we can come to understand this and believe this here, right? And I believe this here, right? But listen, probably one of the most one of the most difficult things. There's a people ask me a lot, um, Pastor. I'm, I come to church, I listen, I'm doing my best, having a hard time experiencing, like, having a hard time experiencing any significant or meaningful, like, change in my life. And, um, and I understand. Uh, because there comes this there comes this really. Everyone heard the like, the old analogy, the 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 most difficult twelve inches um, that you will travel in your in your walk with Jesus, in your following of Jesus. The most difficult twelve inches that you will travel in your walk with Jesus is taking the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit that we know of here, right, and allowing allowing that truth to settle not just in our minds, but like settle down into our hearts until it until it changes right what we know changes how we for instance how we speak we might know we might know right that life in Jesus Christ calls us to speak to others and about others with compassion and love and gentleness and kindness But that our, but almost reflexively out of our heart and out of our soul continues to come toxic, angry, brutal speech towards others. Because for whatever reason, we have not allowed the Holy Spirit of God, right, to soften our hearts long enough to take what we know here to bring it here, to transform not just what we know, but who we actually are. What you know, what, I could write a book about the things that I know, right? I could, I could write two or three sentences about, about the things that Jesus has done in my heart lately, right? To transform my conduct, my speech, my heart towards others, right? It's, it's always the difficult part, right? So the question 
as it applies to us this morning, right? It applies in every, it applies in every avenue of like, um, our walk with Jesus. But the question for us, um, like how are we taking what we know? Okay, Jesus created all things. All things are created for Him. They exist to bring Him glory, right? Who cares for us in our heart? It's great to know here. What about here? Right? I mean, I think the application... I mean, excuse like the captain obvious of the application is like if everything exists for him, then the application is then it doesn't exist for us. If everything in all of creation exists for Jesus, to bring him glory, to magnify his name, to exalt his holiness, then it, then it unequivocally, without doubt, period at the end of the sentence, does not exist for us. We may use it, we may enjoy it, we may value its purpose of bringing glory to Him, but it doesn't exist for us. Well, I'm pastor, I don't know. I think that the Lord wanted us to have dominion over all of creation. I, exi- I, I agree. I, I read it too. I, I know it too. I see it too. But listen, don't use the word dominion as an excuse to dominate. Dominion doesn't mean domination. Dominion doesn't mean abuse. Dominion doesn't mean irresponsible understanding and use of the things that God has created to bring Himself glory. Use it. Manage it. Steward it. Don't destroy it. Don't look at it as if it doesn't matter and that you will not be held accountable for what happens to it. We will. It doesn't exist for us. It's not ours. It was never meant to be. It all was always the point pointed towards Him. It exists, and we exist to bring Him glory, all of it. Okay, but listen, what, what, something happened, right? If we look back at, at the creation account, Genesis chapter 1, it was good, 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 it was good. We were created, it was very good. John chapter 1. All things were made for him and through him. You would think that looking at the world today and looking at you and I and looking at the nature of creation, being like, wow, if this is the offering of glory that Jesus wanted, like, (laughs) not the greatest example, right? Not, not getting, not getting the most, not getting the most pure sacrifice of praise. We get it, right? Why? What happened? Well, the reality is written in the rest of the book of Genesis, right? And then all throughout human history, right? It got screwed up. (laughs) It got screwed up. Everything, Everything that was built and created and existed to bring glory to God got screwed up. Sin marred it all. In the, the, the choice... The, the choice of one man, and then the choice of one man, and then the choice of one man and woman, right? The choice, the choice, the choice, the choice, the choice, the choice to turn, the, turn our backs on God's desire to get glory for Himself has progressively and continually screwed things up. That's why we see in us, right? Listen, that's why we see in you and I, we can see in ourselves the tremendous capacity to bring glory to God, right? We have a tremendous capacity to bring glory to God in the things that we do, the words that we say, 
the worship that we offer. Tremendous, tremendous capacity. We also have a tremendous, tremendous capacity to bring glory to ourselves. To be people who do and practice evil. We have a tremendous capacity in both, in, 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 on both extremes, right? We see the same thing, right, in the rest of creation, right? Us as creation has the capacity to go both ways, right? The rest of creation has the capacity to do the same. We see it going both ways. It has a tremendous capacity to bring glory and magnify God through its tremendous beauty. Tremendous beauty. The sunsets this time of year are like out of this world glorious. You can't stand but to look at them and be like, that is God like showing off. Showing off. Remember, we don't worship the thing. We're not worshiping the beauty of the sunset. We're worshiping the one who created the thing that brings beauty and glory to him. Right? I'm jealous of Eric and Stacy Clark. I think they're both serving conduit kits today, but they just got back from Colorado and some of the pictures that they were showing like at the Red Rocks in Colorado, I was, I was like... Jeepers, creepers, we live in an ugly place. <laughs> like comparatively speaking, right? One of the things that uh, someone asked me, what was, the favorite thing, what was your favorite thing that you did on sabbatical? I was like, I don't know, I think I'm supposed to say spend time with my kids, but if I'm being honest with y'all, I bought a motorcycle and put a lot of miles in on it, right? And I tell you, I saw some Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things. And when you look at when you're looking at the world around you, you're like, man, like it all just screams glory to God. Glory to the create glory to the one who created us. Glory, 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 glory. It has the capacity for tremendous beauty. And then it also has the capacity to be named Irene and completely wipe out half of Florida. Or to shake the very foundations of a whole state called California. Right? It has the tremendous capacity to dump feet and feet of snow and ice. Right? Right? Come on, testify. Right? Let's God, God, God get the glory, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? But, but listen, we see these things, right? We see floods. We see hurricanes and tornadoes. We see earthquakes. We see vo volcanoes. We see all of these things where it's like, it feels like, I don't really know, right? But it feels like the creation itself is broken. Yeah, it has a tremendous capacity for glory. But man, it feels like it feels like just like we are broken and have a capacity for glory that the creation itself is broken but has a tremendous capacity for glory as well. Paul speaks to Paul speaks to this, right? The brokenness of creation and ties ties the brokenness of creation to our own redemption as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. 
that redemption and salvation, while, while we may have always heard it communicated as a purely personal thing, Jesus wants to offer you forgiveness so he saves your own little delicate little soul. It's all about you. Personal Jesus coming from a, for a personal being and it's all about you. You don't need to be worried about anything else around you. Jesus is only coming for you. The cross of Jesus Christ, it only addresses you. What Jesus offered himself on the cross, it's only about you. Well, Paul says, that's, you're wrong. That's such, a, that's such a narrow, selfish, everything exists for me view of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Paul Paul proclaims that in Romans chapter 8. He says, Redemption and salvation are not just a personal saving, but a corporate sweep of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ to make everything that sin has broken right and whole again. And that includes the way that sin has broken and marred the creation that we live in. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says these words. Y'all, I'm sweating. I'm about to turn the air conditioning on here. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 18, or uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul's a little, okay, here, like, we're broken, right? Broken and marred by sin. Experiencing the suffering of a broken world and the consequences of broken decisions, right? Our present sufferings. I consider that our present sufferings, they pale in comparison. They are not even worth comparing. They don't even make the list with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's coming. Glory will be revealed in you. It is coming. Verse 19, the creation. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For it is in this hope we were saved. Listen, what does Paul say here? It's like, hey, you and I, hey guys, listen, right? We're broken and marred by sin. We're experiencing suffering, but we have placed our hope that, that in Jesus Christ, in salvation through Jesus, redemption is coming. Wholeness is coming. Glory will be revealed in us. But not just us. The whole creation around us is like almost groaning as in the pains of childbirth. 
eagerly awaiting for the moment that you and I are redeemed by Jesus because it's in that moment that it itself is redeemed and made whole from the brokenness it experienced through sin. What I don't want to do, listen, we're not, we're not personifying creation, okay? We're not saying that creation has a personality and it's speaking to himself. It's speaking to itself in some kind of spiritual, weird, new agey way, right? Uh-uh. No. Right? The creation exists for Jesus. It's not its own thing. It doesn't have a mind of its own. It exists for through and for the glory of Jesus Christ, right? But what we are saying is, is, that, is that redemption is tied to the whole of creation, not just to our own little individual hearts, right? Ask Jesus into your heart. Okay. That when, when Jesus comes to redeem and destroy the work of the Satan, when Jesus comes to, to, to eliminate the the bondage to decay, the frustration because of sin, the brokenness, the marred nature of all that there is. He does it on a wholesale level. It's not just about you or me. It's about all of it. He's making it all right. He's making it all new. He's changing the whole landscape, no pun intended. What is the purpose of the world and the creation around us? It is to bring Jesus Christ glory in all things and all times. It does not exist for us. It does not exist through us. It exists for Him. And the plan for all of creation, the plan for all of creation is to, is to fall under the same, the same redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross so that it may be made whole once again and once again return to the place of not being marred and broken by sin sometimes, no, but no, all, all the time, giving glory and exaltation to Him in all things. Creation is all about Jesus. So when you see that snow falling, I mean, listen, I get it. <laughs> okay? But when you see that snow falling, and when you see those trees blowing, right? right? And when you see that sun setting, or when you see that sun rising, or when you're driving through the mountains, or when you're looking at a starry night, right? the response, I mean, Lord, let's, let this bring you glory. I see your glory, Jesus. I see your power. I see your supremacy. Maybe it's one of those times where like when you are awed, like maybe, maybe, I, you know, here, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Next time, this is a promise from your pastor, all right? To take this from here to here, even in my own life. I get some pretty nice sunsets and some pretty nice sunrises where I live. I live at the top of the hill. Lots of you, right? Next time I get one of those, right? I'm taking my Bible out. I'm going to walk out into the middle of my field, right? Walk out into the middle of my field. And I'm going to read these words again. I 
going to look right at that sunset, or I'm going to look right at that sunrise and proclaim for every heavenly being to hear me in that moment. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. Thanks be to Jesus. We give glory to His name. This is for Him. As the worship team comes back up, I'm going to just reread that first part of Psalm chapter 19. Next week, um, next week we're maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit more sensitive. Is um, we're going to talk about how how your pain, maybe the trial that you're experiencing, that how how your pain is actually all about Jesus too. But the thing that you're experiencing, the thing you want to escape from, the thing that's creating a lot of pressure, soul pressure, heart pressure, life pressure, it's all about Jesus. It's actually not about us, but it's about Him. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises on one end of the earth, on the heavens, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its light. Father, if the rocks, if the rocks cry out in silence, Lord, so will we. Well, Lord, let us cry out with volume. Lord, the rocks don't need to cry out. Lord, because your people are proclaiming the glory of your work the holiness of who you are, the magnitude, Lord, of your Son, Jesus.